0: Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Resurrection Community Church in Virginia Beach. We seek to connect people to God and one another through his word, and hope this sermon brings you closer to God. We'll hear God's word this morning from Genesis chapter 25. And because I got Alejandro to do Genesis chapter 24 last week, he had to read 65 verses. This is gonna seem this is gonna seem easy uh, from Genesis chapter 25. But Genesis chapter 25 is interesting, it feels a little weird at times, um, because Genesis chapter 25 is very much a transition chapter. So we're going to get a lot of names as we transition from kind of fully wrapping up the story of Abraham and moving on to the story of Isaac and his sons Jacob and Esau. So this is significant, uh, you could call it a, a bit of a hinge in the book of Genesis, which is appropriate it's Genesis chapter 25 there's 50 chapters in Genesis. So this is we are, we are halfway through Genesis and if you're thinking maybe maybe it's about time to, to stop and move on to something else. Don't count on it <laughs> unless unless something changes, we're planning to just keep going because it is such uh, at least at least for me and I hope for many of you it, Genesis has been a rich view of God's grace and God's mercy and God's work and really seeing where God has come from or where, where God has brought us, where we as a people, the people of God, were formed. And in Genesis 25, as we've seen throughout Genesis, you might look at this and think, I thought things were going to get better. I thought that you know the children would learn lessons from their parents and not repeat the same things. You will find in Genesis 25 and then again in Genesis 26, and really throughout the rest of Genesis, that no, that children have not learned lessons from their parents. Instead, they continue the same mixed legacy with the elements of faith and prayer and hope and trust in God, but also a number of things where you say, really? What were you thinking? So the, the good news in all of that is that we will see a God who is greater than all of his people, and a God that only he could put together this family, only God's way, could make this happen. So let's read Genesis chapter 25. Abraham took another wife, whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Midian, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan fathered Sheba and Dedan. The sons of Dedan were Asherim, Letushim, and Leumimim. The sons of Midian were Ephah, Ephor, Hanak, Abida, and Elda. All these were the children of Keturah. Abraham gave all he had to Isaac. the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There, Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at Beer Lahairoi. These are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar, the Egyptian, Sarah's servant, bore to Abraham. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael, named by the, in the order of their birth, Nebaoth, the firstborn of Ishmael, and Kedar, Adbeel, Mibsa, Mishma, Duma, Massa, Hadad, Tima, Jeter, Naphish, and Kidama. These are the sons of Ishmael, and these are their names by their villages and by their encampments. Twelve princes according to their tribes. These are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. He breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. They settled from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt in the direction of Assyria. He settled over against all his kinsmen. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel the Aramean of Paddan Aram, the sister of Laban the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand, holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for this day. Thank you for this word. We thank you for this word uh, that re- was recorded so long ago to record for us what happened, your, wor- your faithfulness, your actions for your people. We, pray that, uh, we thank you this word was written down and preserved for us and we pray that just as it was your word and your w- work for your people back then, this would be your word for us today. Would you take this word and sink it deep into us by the power of your Holy Spirit, that it would not merely be information for our heads but transformation for our hearts changing the way that we think, the way that we feel, the way that we live. Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I have a distinct memory from eighth grade. And I don't know know why, why, I don't know why. Sometimes you wonder why do these things stand out to you? But when I was in eighth grade, that was for us, that was middle school. We were getting ready to go into high school. And as we prepared to go into high school, we had to choose courses that we were gonna take as as a freshman in high school. And in particular, we had to choose a science class. Were we gonna take biology or chemistry as a freshman? And we had a choice and they told us this. They said, all right, now listen, if you're gonna do this advanced program, this international baccalaureate program, when you are a junior and senior in high school, you're going to have to take an advanced science class as part of this program. So if you as a senior want to take advanced chemistry, you should take biology as a freshman. And if you as a senior are gonna take advanced biology, you should take chemistry as a freshman. There's, there's good reasons for that. But, so, but the thing about it that was kind of weird, and I remember thinking this in eighth grade, thinking, you're telling us right now as eighth graders to decide what science we are going to take as seniors. How are we supposed to know? But why, because that's how the schedule worked. It was all planned out. If you were going to be the best, and at the high, the, the high school where I grew up, everybody, they wanted everybody to be the best. We were, we were all above average and all that. So if you are going to be the best, you've got to get things right now. So you can take all the most advanced classes. So you can have the perfect high school resume. So you can go to the perfect college. So that you can get the perfect job. So that you can have the perfect life. And it's all spread out for you. And that's not just something we do to middle schoolers. We do that throughout our lives. We do that in lots of other situations. You've got to get everything lined up, whether we're talking, I mean, many of you know that you, you plan out your careers far in advance and you know exactly what steps have to be taken to go from here to there to here because that's just the way it works. And part of that, I'm not, I'm not really knocking it, it's the way the world works, but it's worth stepping back and realizing that that's not at all how God works. Because if God worked in the way that we plan out our our classes and our careers and our lives, even in some cases our relationships or our parenting or where we choose to live, if God planned things out this way, He would not choose Jacob and Esau, right? I mean, just look at this, this scene at the end here. Like nobody looks good in this scene with Jacob and Esau. It starts out all right. Okay, you're going to have twins. Great. Twins. Twins are great. Everybody loves twins. And so they're different. Esau's man of the field. Jacob's a man of the tents. Fine. And then he comes in. Let me eat some of that red stew. Really perfectly reasonable. He's hungry. It's his brother. And Jacob's like, "Mm, how about you sell me your birthright? (laughs) Come on, Jacob. Like, give him a break. And Esau... Now we got it to be fair to Esau, they didn't have microwaves, right? So like making the stew was a little bit more work for him than it would have been for us. But still, like, I'm gonna die? No, you're not gonna die, Esau. You're gonna be fine. If you made it here, you could make it a few more hours even to make yourself some food. And of course, he's, but, he's, but he's hungry. He's like, ah, what does it matter? Where Jacob should then say, haha, funny, yeah, you're right. Here, here's some stew. But no, no, he makes him swear. And he, he just goes ahead and takes it, gives him his stew. And then, then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew and he ate and drank and rose and went on his way. <laughs> really? Like, that's the, like that really just happened? You no, know, that, that really just happened. This is not who you would choose. And in fact, what's going on at the beginning of this chapter with the description of all of Abraham's children and grandchildren through his second wife slash concubine, Keturah, exactly what the relationship is is unclear. And the 12 princes, sons of Ishmael, like those are the people that we would choose. Ishmael gave birth to 12 princes. He has a whole nation, all nations, 12 villages, all kinds of power following him, of warriors, of his children. Keturah just gives birth to children and then more children and more children. They just come and yet the chosen child of God's line the line that God is keeping his promise through, is Isaac. And here's Isaac. Now, Isaac's a good enough guy so far. He looks pretty good. Last chapter, we saw the great love story. Rebecca comes, and it's all wonderful. But what's the problem? After the sons of Ishmael and the sons of Keturah, surprise, surprise, Rebecca is barren. Just like her mother-in-law, Sarah, before her. cannot have a child, cannot carry on this line. This is the family that God is choosing. This is the way that God chooses to build His family, and so the message for us in Genesis 25—it's—we can look at this, and you know, you can draw some lessons. In fact, the New Testament, the author of Hebrews draws a straight moral lesson from Esau. It says, "Hey, bad move, Esau! Like recognize recognize the good things instead of the immediate things." Um, but the bigger message for us today is that God builds His family in His way. God builds His family in His way. There is nothing else more clear in Genesis chapter 25 than that that simple fact that God builds His family His way. So what do we do with that? If we see God building His family in His way through a very imperfect family, through people that are really not moral examples for us in particularly any way at the moment, Other than maybe Isaac praying, that's a good one. We can follow Isaac in his prayer. That's good. What can we do here? There's a fascinating detail in Genesis 25. And it's that Jacob is born hanging on to Esau's heel. Now, there's there's a lot of meaning to that. Uh, The name Jacob actually means he grasps the heel, uh, which is kind of like, oh yeah, he came out holding on to his brother's heel. But it turns out that in Hebrew, that idiom, is also means that he's a deceiver, he's a trickster. Um, And so his name means literally how he was born, grasps the heel, but also that he's a trickster as you can see. So that's kind of an interesting name for a father of God's people. But, But there's something in there for us, not so much the deception part, we don't really want to emulate that, but Jacob as the one who's holding on, who's clinging to Esau's heel. This is going to be Jacob for his life. Jacob throughout his life we will see is one who is just clinging. He is clinging ultimately to God. We'll see later on. There will be a story that we'll get into more where he literally wrestles with God and will not let him go. That's where he gets the name Israel. Struggles with God. That will be the name of God's people uh, going forward. But, but, But that... Is, a, is in fact a model for us. What can we do knowing that God builds his family in his way? We can hang on. We can cling to whatever we can get hold of because that is who we are. And the sooner we recognize who we really are as humans and our human nature and our human weakness and who we are as beloved children of God, who he has chosen in that despite our nature and our weakness, The sooner we can see ourselves as our only hope being to cling to whatever God has put to us, the better off we will be. Because our problem is that we look to our own plans. We try to line everything up. We try to pick those classes right. We try to line up our lives in our ways. And really where we should be focused is clinging to God. The more we look and see God's faithfulness, the more we can cling to him and trust him With the outcomes. So very quickly, briefly, we can see in here three specific ways, three specific challenges through which God builds his family in his own way. First, we see that he builds it through struggle, secondly, through weakness, and thirdly through imperfection. Those happy topics for the morning. Through struggle, through weakness, and through imperfection. Happy what we want, maybe not, but it is where we are. It is real. First, we see through struggle. Literally says it, verse 22. After Rebecca has struggled to get pregnant, struggled to, to give birth, and the Lord grants the, Isaac's prayer, Rebecca conceives, verse 22, the children struggled together within her. And she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. That's something we can emulate. Good work, Rebecca. She felt the struggle, and she went and she asked the Lord, "Why is this happening?" This is how God builds His family, though. It's a struggle. It says within you, literally right now, all the turmoil you feel is twins. I don't. I think I'm not. I don't think I'm missing it. I don't think anybody. I don't think anybody here has had twins, um, but I. I can only imagine uh, what it's what it's like to have twins. As some of you know, it's, it's quite enough to have one. And so Rebecca has twins, and they are going crazy in there. They are fighting from the beginning. And they will fight throughout their lives. There will be conflict between Jacob and Esau, and then between the nations descended from them, between Israel and Edom, throughout the rest of their histories. So this is the struggle, but this somehow in this, this is how God is at work. And when we see that, we look at that, And we can wonder, we can take comfort in that when we feel struggle in our lives, when we feel conflict in our lives. We feel conflict with other people. We feel conflict with the world at large, how it's not working the way that it's supposed to work. Things are not going how they should. We can be comforted that God knows the struggle. God builds his family, his church now through struggle. Through the midst of that, God does things his way. What do we do when we face that struggle? we can be like Rebecca. We go to the Lord and we say, why? Why this struggle? Why is this happening? And what does God say? He just says, yes. Yes, there is a struggle. Yes, there is conflict. He doesn't give a great answer to why he chose to do it this way. We don't have an answer to why God set it up for Rebekah to have twins, why there would be a struggle between them, why the older should serve the younger. In fact, the New Testament will tell us in Romans 9 that it was not specifically says, not because of anything that they did. But God chose this way for reasons that we cannot understand. But what God says is yes. God, why the struggle? Yes, I'm with you. That's his answer. And so as we recognize this, what does this mean for us today as we see that God builds his family through struggle? When we feel that struggle, we can hear the answer of yes. God, why? Yes, I am here, I'm with you. And we can take that and we can be comforted by it. We can be comforted that God knows, that God understands, and that God is with us in the midst of the struggle. That we may not understand why it is, but he does. So God builds his family through struggle, Secondly, God builds his family through weakness. I already said at the beginning that this is, you know, if we were choosing families here, we would choose Ishmael's line and we would choose Keturah's line rather than the line of Isaac. Because the line of Isaac is weak. The line of Isaac does not produce children as easily. Even within the line of Isaac, we see, uh, so we see the, the princes of Ishmael versus the, the two children of Isaac. We see Isaac's family, uh, rebecca struggling to conceive, and then that's granted, but has the, the two children. And then, even among those two children, verse 27 when the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man, dwelling in tents. Now, if you are choosing the man to go and rule the nation, to go and take over the land that God has promised, are you gonna choose the hunter? Or are you going to choose the quiet man dwelling in tents? Now, you might want to say that, well, there's, there's different roles here, right? But it doesn't even say that, like, Jacob was a herdsman or Jacob was even a cook. Now, he does make the stew, so he's got, he's got that going for him. But the initial description is just that Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. It's a, it's a description of weakness in human terms. Not in God's terms, this is not judgment against Jacob. God God is for Jacob, God chooses Jacob. But in our human way of looking at this, I can guarantee that nine times out of 10, if you were choosing between Esau and Jacob for who was gonna lead your family, you would choose Esau. He was the one who looks better. But God builds his family through weakness. So when we talk about, when we look at this, what does that mean for us to see that God builds his family through weakness, through the weaker one? Well, where where are we putting our priorities? How are we trying to think of ourselves? Where are we putting our self-worth? Are we putting it in getting everything right? In getting all those classes lined up right so you can finish at the top of your class? Are you, are you putting it in getting all those, in getting your job prospects lined up right so you can make it to the top? Are you putting your hope in having your family lined up perfectly that all your kids know all the right things and behave in all the right ways? Or are you putting your hope in God's love for you? Because Jacob the quiet man had something that was going for him. Jacob have I love. That's what God says. says it multiple times all throughout scriptures. I chose Jacob. What do we know when we are here in church worshiping God, part of the family of God? You have been chosen by God. That is your hope. So it gives perspective to your striving for what you are seeking to do, for what you are seeking to accomplish. To moderate those things. To keep them in their proper place. And at the same time, It gives you comfort when you fail. Because it's all well and good for the teachers to tell you to line up your classes in all the right way, but it doesn't mean you're gonna pull it off. It's all good and well to plan out your career, but it doesn't mean you're gonna get the promotion you want. Doesn't mean you're gonna get the job you want. Doesn't mean you're gonna go to the college you want. Doesn't mean you're gonna succeed on the sports field the way you want. And when those things don't work out the way that you were hoping, you can know that your hope is that God chose you. And that is a promise that can never fail. Because God has chosen you. God has put his love on you even in the midst of your weakness, even in the midst of your failings. So God builds his family through struggle, he builds his family through weakness, and he builds his family through imperfection. Here we come back to Jacob and his stew. See, here's here's the interesting thing about this. We can look at this and roll our eyes at Esau and at Jacob. Like, Esau, what were you thinking? Jacob, you're a jerk. And it's true. It's entirely true. This is a jerk move by Jacob to trade, to get Esau to sell his birthright for a bowl of stew. But this was God's plan. Like, God had said from the beginning that the older would serve the younger. That birthright had to go to Jacob. Now, that does not excuse Jacob in a moral sense. That doesn't mean Jacob was right to do it this way we can be sure that if Jacob had walked in a more moral and loving way here God would have worked it out in some other way God would have but this is how God did God worked this right through Jacob's imperfection He used Jacob's deception of his brother and he'll do it again in a few in another chapter He used it to accomplish his purposes So what does that mean for us I don't think we wanna say let's go out and deceive to get what God wants. In fact, people have have justified all kinds of things inside the church, outside the church, all kinds of ways with ends justify the means and it doesn't go well. It, It does not go well. But what we can be confident is that God does work even through imperfection. So when we wonder about what we are doing or what we have done, the question we need to ask ourselves is not can we see all the ends of how this will work out. Not even can I be sure that my motives are perfect. We do everything with mixed motives. But am I clinging to God? Am I clinging to the heel of whatever I can hold on to? Because as we cling, then we let God work it out. And God works through imperfections. If we try to see all the outcomes, if we try to get everything perfect, it doesn't work. We can't know, we can't know everything. Now it's easy to look at this and think, oh, I'm just gonna throw up my hands because what difference does it make? But here's the thing, I don't have my mystery bag, but I do have something in my pocket. I have a pair of dice. You wanna have a pair of dice in my pocket? Now some of you who are at catechism class would tell me that I use them for catechism class this morning, which is true. But the other reason I kept these dice in my pocket is that when we talk about God choosing, God choosing Jacob over Esau, God choosing how things are going to work out, it may not make sense to us, but God is not playing dice. God is not just rolling the dice to say, oh, it comes up six, that's Toby. Oh, it comes up seven, that's Joe. That's not how it works. It's just that we don't understand how it does work. God isn't playing dice with people. God isn't playing dice with his world to do things by random chance. God is working things out in his way. He gets it. He understands. So as we cling to him, as we walk in obedience, we can see how this works out. How can we know that it's going to work out? Because this line that he chose through Jacob comes down to the most improbable figure. Now see, when it comes down to Jesus, Jesus was a pretty good guy. But Jesus' way of working things out was not the way that anybody would expect. It's not that when Jesus came with his perfectly righteous self that everybody just fell in line behind him. He did not conquer as a mighty hunter like Esau, nor in fact did he win people's hearts as a quiet man like Jacob. In fact, he didn't win a lot of anything. He was attacked by those who were powerful, He was rejected by the religious leaders. He was put to his death in a plan that nobody could foresee but God alone. Not as a matter of a random throw of the dice, but by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. As Peter said on the day of Pentecost, that Jesus went to his death on the cross, the ultimate example of God's way, the only way that God's kingdom, God's family could be built, that God's kingdom could be expanded, is through the weakness and suffering and struggle of Jesus, not of his imperfection, but of his perfection. Because he takes our imperfect clinging, and he took it in his perfect self to, to, to the cross, where he exchanges our imperfect clinging for him, clinging to him for his perfect life of obedience. So in all of our imperfections, God can take them and use them for his glory. Now to see as I, that worked out in my life, you know, I, I was following that path. I told this to the Regent students a couple weeks ago when I was telling them how great it is to work at camp and teach kids the motto of I'm third and God first, other second and myself third. Teach them what it means to truly compete as a Christian. Because I told them that as I went through high school, I followed that path perfectly and I made it to the top. And then I said, I'm going to college and where did I apply to college? This is kind of hilarious actually. I said, I'm going to the best. I applied to the best university, the best liberal arts college, and the best college on the West Coast. And I didn't go to any of them. And as I I went out, as I left high school, having built all those things perfectly following the plans of the world, I turned away from them, going to a college where I knew that I would get just as good an education as any of those other places, but also a place where I knew that I would grow in my faith because there was a Christian community there that was waiting for me that I knew about. And in that Christian community, I started to learn what it meant to put aside the things of the world, even the good things of the world, the success of the world. Say, God, what do you want for me? And it's led me on a path that I would not necessarily have anticipated, uh, not anticipated at all, had no idea. Certainly when when I left Virginia at 18 that I'd be coming back to Virginia Beach 20 years later. But here I am. And it's a path that I would not trade for anything. A path of clinging to the heel, simply to see what God has next for us. That's all any of us can do, is to cling to God in imperfect obedience. And through the perfect obedience of his son, through the sacrifice of his son, through the mysteries of God's plan, he works it out for us. And he works it out for our good and for his glory. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your faithfulness to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, for the family that you built through them, the family that you have brought us into through Jesus. We thank you for Jesus and his perfect life and his perfect sacrifice to make good your surprising plan. Would you help us to understand more and more each day what that means, to take hold of it in our own lives and to cling to you in imperfect obedience each day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.